welcome to the Duke Basketball Corner Podcast. I am your host, Adam Comero. And here we go. Duke just, uh, not just, spent a couple days, but they played their blue-white scrimmage in the countdown to craziness. So let's talk about it. And I'm rolling solo for, for this pod right now. So let's start off with the uh, highly in-depth analytics. The analytics for the blue-white scrimmage. Jack White, six assists. The white team, five assists. And that concludes your analytics for the blue-white scrimmage of the 2019 Countdown of Craziness. I hope you enjoyed. Anyway, uh, so we got a couple quick things um, I do want to go over, some news and notes, and then we'll just get into it. Uh, So first, for those who do or want to follow me on Twitter, I changed the handle of my account from CC underscore Duke Games to Duke B-Ball Corner. So it is at Duke B-Ball Corner now. Uh, two, I am working on figuring out the basics of a website so I can kind of post throughout the season. I'm not great with technology, so it's not going to be the best looking site, but it's just to kind of get some stuff down there. Um, it's been a couple years since I've written legit articles and posted on a site, but I'm hopefully going to be doing that all season, build up a nice portfolio that way, and also just bottom line, make it easier for people to find quality Duke info without Twitter, because I've posted all that good info on Twitter for a few years, for <laughs> longer than a few years, and Twitter is unsurprisingly not receptive to legit info and analytics, so, and I'm sorry, and uh, analysis. So my goal is to concentrate more and more on the pod and the soon-to-be website, so definitely keep listening for more info about the site. Uh, number three, about uh, after CTC, there's really nothing I wanted to do more than talk about Duke, and I'm actually recording this Tuesday night, so could have been sooner, but bottom line, I mean, my current co-host, while I'm very appreciative of what he does, as I explained on uh, the last podcast with him or two podcasts ago when I was actually with him at the time just so it was like I wasn't saying anything without him there just to make sure we were on the same page and in terms of that consistent recording and input and feedback and everything he just isn't able to provide that at this point with the family and everything so he can do it sometimes and again I'm appreciative when he's able to record but I'm hoping to get responses from those interested in becoming a legit co-host with me. This year will kind of serve as that. And the more input you give, the more you'll be involved. Because I pretty much go into pods uh, blind as to what the deal will be with Joe. And I'm not sure what happened to recording with him after CTC. So bottom line, I was worn out from five years of recording solo and basically talking to a computer um, on podcasts. And I'll always record but without a reliable co-host, I, I just can't guarantee the consistency and immediacy of these. So I'll repeat this message for the season preview. I'll, I won't do it every time. But uh, bottom line is that in a crowded podcast field, the Duke Basketball Corner Pod, it stands apart because of the work I put in. And I would love to take it to the next level. So if you want the same, rate and review in iTunes. Make sure other people know about this. That is the way it, it has to be. I hate promo. I hate self-promo. But... It is what it is at this point. So show me how much you love Badoo Duke. Kind of join me on this sort of adventure because many say you can always find what you're looking for on the internet no matter what it is. But for in-depth Duke basketball talk, I mean, this is it. So let's keep it going. Uh, Let's see. uh, Number four, the more legit feedback, the better. So especially when I'm doing these solo, hit me up at DukeBasketballCorner at Gmail with comments, questions, anything you want. Let's make it a community. And I'll definitely mention them on podcasts if they're valid. 
and uh, let others know about Duke Basketball Corner. Rate, review again. It takes 20 seconds to do both. So that sums up that. All right. So news and notes, uh, Carlos Boozer, he joins the, he's joined the ACC network. Very cool. So we got another Dukey in the media. All right, Luol Dang officially retires. During an off-season pod, I talked about how he's been investing in real estate since he entered the NBA. He gives talks to other players on investing, and he has a real estate portfolio right now in upwards of $125 million. So considering he's also made over $150 million on the court, he'll be fine. Consummate pro. He, he, he had some battles guarding LeBron in his prime. I mean, Luol was tireless, and there's no way Duke makes the 2004 Final Four without him as a do-everything type. J.J. Redick definitely would never have made a Final Four without Luol Deng. Um, so let's see here. All right, uh, another not great news. Uh, Zion, Zion Williamson, surgery to repair meniscus in his, a torn meniscus in his right knee. He's out six to eight weeks, just a few days after it was reported that he hurt his knee, but it wasn't serious. And at that point, it was said he'd be out for a period of weeks, which kind of left a lot up to interpretation. Both reports were made by Adrian Wojnarowski. So either way, basically, that just sucks. There's no other way to put that. In kind of national basketball news, college basketball news, uh, senior Josh Lankford of MSU he only played in the first 13 games or so last year with a foot injury, but now it's already become reoccurring. So they announced today, Michigan State, that he's expected to be out until January, at least January when they'll reevaluate. So even though he wasn't with them most of the season last year, it's still a big loss for the time being. They expected to have him. And also, just in terms of Langford, his last game was December 29th, 2018. So he'll go a full calendar year without playing. That's got to be tough. All right, on Saturday, Vernon Carey, he was named to the uh, Abdul-Jabbar Award watch list, which is the 20 players in line for the award at the end of the season. Um, they announced it at the beginning. So there's some other uh, names that many people would know. Some of them are, have been ex-ACC guys, including one, an ex-Dukey, Chase Jeter. He was named for, for Arizona. Let's see, Carey Blackshear, now with Florida from Virginia Tech. Uh, Omer Yurtseven, Georgetown, Duke may be playing them in a preseason tournament. Uh, let's see, Stephen Enoch, who I said is Louisville's X-Factor. I think that could happen. Armando uh, Backhut for UNC. I think when I, talked, when I talked about UNC on the ACC preview, I made clear how important I think he was, but I would actually, I didn't say specifically, I would consider him UNC's X-Factor in terms of his, his actual development and how that will look. So Vernon Carey is one of the 20 named to the Abdul-Jabbar watch list. So he joins uh, Trey Jones on the Bob Cousy watch list and Matthew Hurt on the uh, Irving, the Julius Irving Award watch list for small forwards, which is interesting since supposedly he's a power forward. So a lot of on the preseason watch list. All right, uh, moving on. Let's see here. Um, we got... Uh, one other thing I forgot to mention from the ACC preview pod, it's actually, I believe, the first time in history there is nobody from the first or second team all ACC that has returned. So in terms of how I was talking last year about how the national names, ACC names that are known to like kind of the national crowd, it's just it's very limited right now just in terms of, I mean, most people are going to know Cole Anthony, Trey Jones, and Jordan Noir. After that, it drops off. So uh, 
yeah, that happens when there's no first or second team returning. All right, uh, rankings. They actually came out. Because I haven't uh, recorded till now, there actually has been some rankings I can talk about. Obviously, preseason rankings. Uh, the Bart Torvik rankings had already been out just in terms of preseason, so it's interesting to do some comparing with the AP and Kempom. But I mean, there's no way in hell I'll ever get 1% as worked up about rankings as most on Twitter do. It's beyond dumb, especially for preseason rankings. But it is interesting just to kind of notice and compare. So uh, let's start uh, AP. What would we have here? AP Duke is ranked number four. It's all four of the uh, Champions Classic teams, one through four, Michigan State, Kentucky, Kansas, and Duke. The first place votes, Michigan State got 60, Kentucky two, and Kansas three, and that's it. Um, in terms of ACC teams, Louisville is five, uh, North Carolina is nine, Virginia is 11, and that's it. That's actually it. So, yeah, you can see the drop off there. Nobody's quite sure how the rest will go, but just me, if I was going to make a prediction, Florida State, I can. De- it, it would be surprising, barring injuries, if they don't end up on the top 25, definitely, by the end of the season, and possibly pretty high up there. Uh, one team I, I thought deserved to be on there, but we'll see. I mean, there's always potential to rise up. There's plenty of pretend of uh, potential and opportunities. Uh, Harvard with uh, Tommy Amaker, I think they have a great squad. They've kind of everything's been pointing to 2020 as the year they take that big leap, and they're playing in their Orlando Invitational, I believe. And if they can beat Texas A&M, they have a chance at Maryland and maybe Marquette. So there's definitely opportunities. But I think uh, Harvard. They definitely have the talent to be ranked very high this year. Um, in terms of Kempom, Kempom, very interestingly, they they Duke is in the same place. Louisville is number three. Michigan State, Kentucky, Louisville, and Duke. Um, Kansas was actually number 10. So, I mean, this is all predictive analytics there, so I'm not exactly sure why, why they're not as high, but it's interesting because Bartorvik, it's not exactly the same, but it's another predictive analytics site, which I think does a great job. And that actually has Duke number 10. And I think Kansas like three or four. So it's interesting how that compares there. Torvik had Kansas number three. I mean, Torvik also has like VCU number nine. So that's an interesting one there. But uh, you never know how these things will work out. But as I said, plenty of opportunities for teams to rise. And uh, yeah, so Duke AP number four, Ken Palm number four, and Torvik number 10 for the preseason. Um, I guess if you're going to look at uh, one stat that I found very interesting um, is actually, according to the Ken Palm 2019-20 tempo predictions, UNC and NC State, they'll both set Ken Palm era program records for fastest teams, and Duke will equal 2002 for second fastest behind only the 2001 team. So that's wild, just in terms of how fast. Like, I can't possibly see that happening. I was about to say, like, the Ken Palm metrics are drunk but uh i mean obviously north carolina state among the teams i talked about in the acc preview pod um i would say they were among the teams i really i mean there's a couple guys i know a lot about but i'm sure it wasn't hard to see i don't i'm not real in-depth knowledgeable about all those teams i just know they're going to come in waves uh so there's going to be a lot of them they're going to play fast especially with not much of a front court um, but uh, Carolina always plays fast, but a program record would be very surprising, extremely surprising, even if they played faster than last year. And Duke, I mean, I don't know. I mean, faster than last year, that's tough to see as well. But who knows? I mean, that's why the preseason is just fun. I don't see 
any point in getting mad about it. Uh, one subject I think is interesting is how big scrimmaging has become um, in the last couple of years in terms of scrimmaging other D1 teams, legit D1 teams. Duke has not gotten with that. And don't tell me that, oh, it's the same thing. Duke plays Northwest Missouri State and Fort Valley State in exhibition. Not even close to the same thing. I mean, if you look at uh, Michigan State, they've played Gonzaga the last two years, I think both in Minneapolis, uh, UNC, they've played Villanova. They played them last year, and they will play them this year. So I think it's good. I mean, it doesn't count. It just gives you a chance to go against some solid competition, even if one of the teams doesn't have everyone, even if you're not running all the official plays. I mean, I just can't see a downside to it. Unless you're just convinced you're going to give a, the other team's going to steal some top secret intel from you, which is pretty much, I mean, it's non-existent. I think it would just, I, I can't see a downside to playing it. But either way, I mean, there's only 34 teams out of 353 who are not scrimmaging in the 2019 preseason. And I'm talking about this scrimmaging, not exhibition games, like legit scrimmages. Um, so only 34 out of 353. ACC, actually, four of those teams are from the ACC. Um, the SWAC, there's three teams from there. Uh, there's ten conferences, which have uh, two teams that aren't scrimmaging. And then there's seven conferences, which have one. So there's only two conferences with more than two teams in it that aren't uh, participating in scrimmages. The ACC has four. And in terms of how many teams didn't scrimmage last year and also aren't scrimmaging this year, there's only eight teams. 18 teams that are not scrimmaging both years, and Duke is one of them. I'm not sure why. I mean, FSU and Syracuse are also one of them. I mean, Kansas, Kentucky, Butler, Arkansas, Memphis, th those are the other, I guess you could say, big-name teams or, or uh, I guess, uh, high-level teams that have not scrimmaged both years. But it's interesting. So, I mean, in terms of K's, uh, guys on the K coaching tree, I mean, Bray's not doing it this year, but he did it last year. But, I mean, Tommy Amaker embraces it. He's actually scrimmaging twice with UConn and BC this year. Jeff Cable just scrimmaged Maryland uh, at Pitts. Uh, Wojo with Marquette. He's scrimmaging Indiana. Chris Collins at Northwestern. He's scrimmaging Vanderbilt. Uh, Bobby Hurley at Arizona State. I don't even – USCB, I looked it up. Is that like South Carolina Buford? I don't even know. But, either, I mean, that's obviously – if that is the school, it's not a top-tier opponent, but it's something. Uh, and uh, Johnny Dawkins at UCF, he's scrimmaging FIU and Florida Gulf Coast. Even Kenny Blakeney at Howard, two scrimmages, uh, UDC and Navy. So, I mean, it's become more and more popular. And I think, again, I just don't see a downside. So, anyway, that, so that sums up the news and notes. So let's get into it. All right, the uh, countdown to craziness. Most of this will be about the blue-white scrimmage. And let me say... Um, just before I even start talking about this, what I'm going to do, um, and let me know if you want this at different points in the season. I can't do it every time because, because of schedule, but what, what I did just to kind of show how crazy I am, not to show how crazy I am, but it just to kind of get context around everything. I actually tracked um, all the plays in the scrimmage, and I know it's just a scrimmage, but it actually did have more defense than I expected, which was a pleasant surprise. I'm not saying there was a lot of defense, but I had more than I expected. So I think there's legit takeaways without going to the extremes with each takeaway. It's just stuff to notice. 
So I actually tracked all the plays up until I think there's like 8.30 left, and I just couldn't take it anymore for various reasons. Um, but, I mean, that was like a legit like 45 plays. And, uh, yeah, so I'm going to read through that. After I'm done talking about this, I'll play – uh, not the official outro music, but a different kind to kind of separate it. And then for kind of a part two, which will be on the same podcast, I'm just going to go through the plays. You can kind of get some context on each of them. So if you like it, let me know what you enjoy. I'm not just going to read through and say, this person scored. Then this person took the shot and scored. Like, I'm going to actually go into it. So just keep in mind that will be after I wind up this part of the pod. All right, countdown to craziness. Basically, it started out with a uh, kind of the, the the center of the court. There was a screen lit up. The light, lights were down low. Screen lit up and just had a bunch of Duke players kind of saying, you don't have to like us. You don't have to understand us, but you can't stop us. There was different guys saying, once a blue devil, always a blue devil. We are Duke men. And then they specifically had only the guys who had titles saying, like, we are champions. And guys like uh, Nolan Smith and uh, Christian Leitner and Grant Hill and Jay Williams and all those guys who, who are champions. And then Kay ended it with, we are the brotherhood. After that, all the Duke player names flashed on the screen. The Kind of the background soundtrack was provided by uh, MOP Annie Up which is always a hype song to uh, get everyone revved up as they kind of showed highlights of the current team's intro before moving on to the individual players. Um, let's say props to two different Debbies. Um, Debbie, Mike Krzyzewski's daughter, she planned the whole thing, did a fantastic job. I believe she's done that each year or at least recent years. And, I mean, there's a lot that goes into Countdown to Craziness, way more than what we see on TV or streaming, those of us who are able to do that. Uh, then there's Debbie Jones, uh, who was diagnosed with breast cancer last winter, was told she was cancer-free recently, October 5th. Great news. And she was brought out proudly by her son, Trey Jones, who uh, he highlighted his player intro, Countdown to Craziness, by kind of um, kind of parading her around. And just it, it was just a really, really cool moment. So... That was probably the highlight of uh, overall the player intros, although I would say the always charismatic Mike Buckmeyer. He also showed some style with his uh, player intro dance before holding up a piece of paper, which he wrote, Happy Birthday, Dad. So that was cool. Um, before the game started, they brought a, a Myasia Stokes. She was a very special guest of honor, and uh, she is an ill patient currently undergoing treatment at Duke Children's Hospital. And... I don't want to state this incorrectly. I, I think she might have cancer, but I don't know. I'm not saying that in any certain terms, but either way, I, I've heard she's sick. And it was it was a, definitely an impactful moment. And she came out. Um, she Nolan Smith wheeled her out in a wheelchair, and uh, he's director of player operations, obviously. And she was wearing Alex O'Connell's number 15 jersey. So she was brought to center court and given a ton of applause, hugs, and encouragement by the players, especially O'Connell, who really seemed to uh, really appreciate um, her enthusiasm and just everyone did. It was a cool moment, and Kay kind of gave her a kiss on the uh, forehead as she was wheeled off, but it was uh, it's, it's just one of those moments that goes beyond sports. All right, so in terms of what Kay said after, just give a couple not necessarily quotes, but just some stuff kind of to sum up 
some of his quotes, if I can do that. Uh, he calls the team an old-fashioned squad and said it's actually refreshing, uh, but it's to be determined how that actually translates. And, yeah, he's right. I mean, you can be excited and think what is all kinds of different things, but in terms of how it'll translate, let's wait and see. He, he counts the scrimmage as the team's 17th practice. Uh, he says they've been stressing defense. He said there's been less separation on this team compared to recent years, so more players will equal less playing while tired. I mean, we've heard that plenty of times before, as uh, not in terms of the uh, separation aspect, but rather the increased uh, rotation bench, bench usage. So, yeah, we'll see how that goes. Um, I mean, during the season at different times, hey, I'm, I'm sure we will, but when it gets down to it, yeah, then we'll really see. Um, he singled out Vernon Carey, who, who uh, in case it actually, he'd never, Vernon Carey had never really played in the post before coming to Duke in July. And it made positive things happen each time he touched the ball. Kay hinted that Duke may try to play through him more and more. And also mentioned he's lost 15 pounds at Duke, which is impressive. I am uh, dieting myself. And uh, yeah, I, I, can, uh, I can relate to how tough it can be at times, but I'm sure they are working him out. Um, Justin Robinson also got shout-outs from Kay. He's currently in grad, in grad school. He earned raves from Kay about who, who really appreciated the way Robinson talks on the court, called him the best talker out there at CTC. Um, or I'm sorry, the blue-white scrimmage, I guess. I mean, it all is CTC, but either way. Uh, let's see, is, is there anything else that he said? Um, yeah, I, I think that pretty much sums it up. All right, so in terms of me, all right, so here, here it gets down to it. All right, so the, as, I, as I mentioned, there was actually more defense than I expected. I think the thing is now with this team, I mean, we're so used to kind of being spoiled with with guys like Kyrie, Rivers, Ja, Ingram, Tatum, Frankie Buckets, Marvin Bagley, RJ, Zion, to an extent, Rashid, Rashid Solomon, Luke Kennard, I mean, guys who are freshmen, and you could just give them the ball and say, go get a bucket. And I'm not sure that exists with this team. There's guys who you're maybe hoping can develop into that, but like right away, others, I mean, I, I don't know if you can consider all of them I listed go-to players, but you could just, it, when the offense is bogged down, you could just give them the ball. And when I used to do a bunch of pods with uh, Ray Hallman, who I hope to get on at some points this year, uh, I mean, we just talked about how, yeah, sometimes it is nice if Duke would be running more team-oriented offense, but it's and if if the guys stay longer, but in terms of just having stud stud players who are NBA ready, you can just get a bucket whenever. It's hard to complain about that. <laughs> so, I mean, yeah, I, I, that pretty much sums that up. So, uh, yeah, I, I think we're gonna need more team offense this year. In terms of not that we I'm not part of the team, but Duke's gonna need more team offense in terms of being able to work for shots. So whether it's playing through Vernon Carey or whatever, I think it's going to have to be more creative. Even though I've said defense is going to be the key factor, as it is every year. There's no year it's not. But I think the offense could be helped, and it's K can do a lot to help it. All right, so Blue, they, they won the scrimmage 48-37, pulled away at the end. The white team was uh, coached by... Uh, Nate James and uh, Chris Carwell. That team consisted of uh, Trey Jones, Alex O'Connell, Wendell Moore, Matthew Hurt, Javin Delorier, and then Keenan Worthington and Michael Severino on the bench. Those last two guys, walk-ons, they did not get any action. Uh, the blue team, 
I didn't see this officially. I, I guess it was coached by John Shire. I'm not sure Coach K was actually like an official coach of either. I guess he was just in between. So that was coached by Shire. Uh, that, that team had uh, Jordan Goldwire, Cassius Stanley, Jack White, Joey Baker, Vernon Carey, Justin Robinson, and my dude Mike Buckmeyer. And unfortunately, Buck did not get any playing time. I was very disappointed. Shed some tears about that. The announcers, play-by-play, uh, Ryan Craig and color commentator Chris Patola. Uh, obviously, a lot of Duke connections with them both. Uh, Chris Patola, son-in-law, Ryan Craig, he's been with Duke for a while, um, worked at Duke, and now I, th- I think he works for other places, might be with CBS, but he, I mean, the two of them have done the countdown to craziness and the, the uh, blue-white scrimmage for the past couple years. So one thing I was interested to see, I mean, they've moved back the men's basketball three-point line in college basketball to the international distance, 22 feet, one and three-fourths inches. And uh, since 2008, the three-point arc has been 20 feet, nine inches. So I think it's not going, it's not going to have a ton of effect on three-point percentages, but just in terms of giving more room and uh, more spacing, so hopefully there can be more pick and roll and stuff like that. I think it could, it could help a lot that way. And I think a lot. All right, so a lot of people they're going to concentrate on the three point stats. I'm not. I don't. It it is what it is. I think there's a lot of factors that went involved in that. And I think last year's team scared the hell out of uh, a lot of people in terms of three three pointers. But uh, there's a lot that went into last year's team. I mean, yeah, if you want to, altogether, Duke was uh, 4 of 25. The white team, 2 of 19. The blue team was 2 of 6. The interesting thing about that was uh, everyone who hit a 3, the four players who hit a 3-point shot, they all did it on their first attempt. Attempt. So O'Connell and Hurt combined for 0 of 8 after hitting their first. And on the other team, Jordan Goldwire and Vernon Carey never attempted another after hitting their first. So, made field goals outside of the paint in the first three minutes. Four. <laughs> Including three threes. Made field goals outside of the paint in the next 17 minutes. Three. And uh, there was uh, two Cassius shots and one Vernon Carey three-pointer. So, yeah, pretty much all of the somewhat shooting came in the first three minutes. There's only 11 non-layups total. Seven outside the paint. Four of which were three-pointers. The other three, which were all cash, is Stanley, and I'll make sure to talk about him. Um, the white team, they started 5 of 8, 2 of 3 from deep, finished 10 of 36, 0 of 16 from deep. So that's great. But again, stats, it's just to kind of name them. That's pretty much all I'll say about stats for the rest of the time. The rest is what we really saw at uh, during the scrimmage. So I think uh, the highlight for most, the, the biggest highlight was AOC uh, Alex O'Connell beating Jack White off the bounce, dishing to Javin for a dunk coming in from the baseline. That's probably the highlight most will remember. The low light, Javin Deloria's three-pointer, hitting nothing but the literal bottom of the net. So that's probably likely the low light. And something to, I guess, notice if you want. I mean, this was late. Uh, there's a uh, full-court press by the white team, led by Trey and Wendell Moore, which forced some turnovers. So will we see more of that? Who knows? I think every year we hope we can see a little more of that press, and every year it's, oh, they don't have the depth. I mean, if K says it, I mean, take with a grain of salt. But, uh, yeah, I mean, if they have a bigger rotation, then maybe we'll see more of it. But that's a big 
maybe with quotes around it. All right, so let's let's go down each player one by one, starting out with the player that Kay singled out the most, uh, Vernon Carey. Yeah, I, I mean, and I will also say this is why I gave like seventy million qualifiers when I said, yeah, I watched a little bit of some of these guys in high school, but in no way should anything I say, and I ended up not even really saying much um, in terms of the off-season and preseason, what I've done before this, because it's just, you never know. You just never know, and there's such a, uh, in terms of level of opponent and types of roles, and there's just so much going on with high school that you just, it's it's really tough, which is why I do give a lot of credit to those who, um, who actually scout high school not not the people who just report of like where players like oh they're down to like three schools and their choices i mean recruiting that's that's a whole different world i'm not into that world if you are good for you but uh in terms of those who actually scout man that it's it's tough and that's why i mean when guys are allowed to go back to uh the pros after a year um or not a year i mean right after high school i mean that's when i really enjoy i'm all about um, scouting and projecting NBA prospects and I mean even making my big boards for the NBA draft I I mean if if I haven't seen somebody in college I pretty I mean besides Luka Doncic I pretty much leave foreign guys and guys who are coming from high school and guys who have played like a year abroad like somebody like uh, uh, LaMelo Ball um, I, don't, I, I just I'm not even going to like try because it's just it's really tough and I, props to those who do but uh yeah that might end up might might end my my uh i guess nba projecting career because i just don't know all right so, so anyway yeah i mean vernon Carey. as i was saying like if you had watched him in all in high, in high school like he didn't play in the post so you never would have seen this coming um he is a lumberer but the efficiency was just downright insane he Always made the right decision on offense. Crazy footwork, unselfish, showed touch. I'm really interested to see if this is who Vernon Carey is each time out consistently or whether it was that type of kind of everything goes right type of performance because it was really, I mean, the efficiency was wild. And I mean, you could say the, the drop step move, that might have been my favorite where it was just a, a fantastic drop step move from the post. Hey, you could say it was the it was the blob baseline out of bounds pass when gold wire to him. He caught with his left hand, makes an immediate, strong, decisive move, finishes with his right. I mean, that's just, I mean, that's a pro move right there. I mean, just having the ability to finish with both hands, which we'll also talk about with uh, Cassius Stanley. If you think that everyone who's a freshman coming into college, has the ability to do that, you have not watched recent Duke teams because it's, I wouldn't even say it's common. It's pretty rare. Um, let's see. I mean, even like R.J. Barrett, Zion could barely do it. I mean, it's, so it's good to see. So an under radar, the un, under the radar, the, excuse me, an under the radar play is when uh, Goldwire, for some reason, gives to him on a four-on-one break at the free throw line with more in front of Vernon Carey, Wendell more in front of Vernon Carey. Rather than force the action with his momentum going forward like crazy, Vernon immediately passed right back to Goldwire for the easy layup on the break, and that's the type of play that will go under overlooked unless 
He did what most big men would do, which is charge right into Moore, in which case the blame would have rightfully gone to Jordan Goldwire, and it would have been perfectly understandable. Vernon saved Goldwire right there, and I mean, it just shows how in tune he is to what's going on, and just the fork, how he could stop on a dime, and just really impressive. His defense is kind of still a wait and see. Uh, Javin obviously isn't someone who poses a big threat as a scorer, so Vernon could kind of uh, move around and help. The awareness is still to be determined. Uh, We saw some good and bad there. There's also questions about consistent effort, especially in transition, getting back in uh, transition. Well, I mean, that's always an issue for uh, young teams and also just basic elements like boxing out. I mean, Javin's crazy um, with the energy, but too often he was able to uh, just rim run without resistance. So Kerry's definitely got to improve there. I like his decisive post moves, but Javin wasn't being uber physical with him so the jury's still out on how he'll be against i mean duke's first opponent they're i mean there's two bigs with the name with and they're azabuki and uh DeSousa. i mean those are men these are grown men so yeah we'll, we'll see we'll, we'll see how it goes there but overall i'd say a great first start uh first kind of glimpse of Vernon Carey. Very, very anxious to see more of him, but I definitely do think he is a guy you can potentially play through. And I mean, just something with this uh, blue-white scrimmage, I mean, you got to combine aspects you see from uh, both teams. I mean, you could say the, uh, what was it, the blue team, they were able to get more assists because of just what Carey could do in terms of playing through him. The passing was better. And, uh, I, I mean, if you combine what he does with what the white team does, well, I mean, yeah, you could see how it all could come together. So it's not going to be split up like obviously it was. I mean, you're going to have the best of both worlds combined. Obviously, how they'll all gel is something. I mean, this is all wait and see, which is why this an, quote analysis, quote, like, yeah, definitely in quotes analysis of this blue-white scrimmage, it's it's just what I've seen. It's not there's the sample size is so microscopic and the level of opponent. I mean it's each other. So obviously there's moments like uh, when like Winston slowing up Wendell Moore got out on the break and Winston if it's against Kansas you would you would think he would give max effort to try to uh, stop someone in transition on the break. But but he slowed up because hey it's a blue white scrimmage and uh, there and there's also a bunch of other things which made it obvious it was a scrimmage and not a real matchup. All right, uh, let's move on. Javin Delorier. I mean, he's, there's only so much you can say. He's he's awesome. I've, he's got to stay on the court for Duke. He has to. And that's where it gets tricky. I mentioned a tiny bit about it at the end of the ACC preview when I was talking about things to look for uh, during the scrimmage. And the trickiest thing for Duke is going to be if, to find a way to get Javin on the court with uh, Matthew Hurd and uh, Vernon Carey on the court. It's, it's tough. Are they going to be able to play three kind of bigs? I mean, they, they did that a little bit in 2018 with uh, with uh, um, Wendell and uh, Wendell Carter and Marvin Bagley and Javin at times, and it wasn't pretty. So, yeah, we'll see how that we'll see how that goes. But uh, I mean, he, he he literally does. He's doing everything well. Unbelievable. At this point, he's doing everything well besides shoot. And I'm not holding my breath that he somehow becomes uh, J.J. Delorier in his senior season. It was funny because I was like, the one thing I don't want to see going into uh, the blue-white scrimmage is Javin shooting threes. And his first three-point 
shot. I mean, as I said, like literally hits the bottom of the net. Um, I mean, his only awareness issue, he didn't pick up carry at 535, but just in terms of the energy was just nonstop. The, uh, the offensive rebounding, the defense. I mean, he even drew a charge on uh, Jack White at one point. I mean, Javin, just in terms of even what he can do, just talking out there, he's just vital for this team. So vital. And it's going to be quite a... Uh, I don't know, a conundrum to kind of figure out ways to get uh, the three bigs on the court at the right times. We'll see. Love job. Love him. All right, Trey Jones. Trey Jones has been the subject of a lot of talk just in terms of he didn't make threes or he didn't make sh- jumpers. And, uh, yeah, you, w- you would wish he would have shot better. I was actually worried that he would make a bunch of them and everyone go crazy that all of a sudden he's the greatest player in the world, kind of like Texas Tech when he got a million steals and everyone thought that was great. And then Syracuse when he got a bunch in the first couple minutes and then injured. So everyone assumed it would just be like Syracuse and he would just keep getting steals. And then he basically, he didn't uh, the rest of the season. So yeah, you you, you never know. But uh, Trey, all right, so here's my thoughts. And I haven't seen the huge jump coming just because it was it was a wait and see because of how he was used in his freshman year. There's got to be some sort of middle ground between Trey barely even being involved in half court offense like last season, and now it's it almost seemed like he was given complete full reign to do whatever he wants. It was literally it was literally like watching freshman year Jay Will, but without the body frame and the skill set. I mean the offense in terms of the offense, the X and the O's. They have to. It has to help Trey. It has to, and it's up to Coach K to do that. But it has to be understood. It's it's almost like starting from square one, right now. If he's going to be treated in the offense as a legit college point guard, running a legit point guard centric system, he's got to look at the tape. You got to show him the tape and see how he completely missed Javin diving to the rim on two of the first, like, four or so half-court offensive possessions, including the first. And, I mean, I mean, just the tendency to keep his head down on the drive and get too deep, not knowing on what's going on around him, often kind of seeming to predetermine the move ahead of time, which doesn't allow for a plan B. But, uh, I mean, I think it's also possible he was a bit overhyped because of this being, in essence, his team this year. And he brought out his uh, cancer-free mother to celebrate her for his player intro. So I'm not sure if his mind and energy kind of fit in the same way for the scrimmage. I mean, he rarely even gave heavy on-ball defensive pressure to Jordan Goldwire. I mean, you were used to that heavy defensive on-ball pressure by Trey last year. So I think it's just, it's an adjustment and we'll see how it goes. I think just kind of letting him, giving him free reign is not going to be the answer. Yet you have to give him help there. You have to run the system. It has to be a system. It can't be the type of off half-court offense that Duke has run in recent years with guys that can just get buckets at any time. It has to be for Trey Jones to be the best he can be. I mean, his jumpers, yeah, they looked way off balance and... Uh, and I think it's a lot of that was just kind of predetermining what he was going to do. I mean, just he was kind of in hyper mode. I want to wait before. I, I mean, I just want to see him again because I think the Trey thing, let's just chill. So I'm not taking too much, but I would just love to see him being given more help 
and that a lot of that falls on Kay, but I would also like to see him just be more aware of what's going on when he's going to penetrate. And he didn't do it much last year because he was kind of just left alone. Um, he's, he's, he's got to understand what's going on around him. He can't just assume things. Um, I mean, like Javin, I think Duke discovered last year, he was a great rim. He was a great kind of diver to the basket. And I think RJ really discovered that towards the end of last year. Javin could have been used a lot more throughout the season if they didn't all of a sudden discover it. But I also, I mean, Duke was just, I mean, they were a tire fire and have court offense most of the year. So, And Javin, for at least the first, like, month or so, I mean, he couldn't even stay on the court. His foul rate was ridiculous. But, um, yeah, I mean, Trey, it's, it's definitely, you got to look at the film. And, hey, 17th practice, you barely know each other. You're just developing chemistry. All right, uh, Wendell Moore started out extremely cautious and deliberate, and he became more confident and decisive as the game wore on. Uh, I mean, there was the behind-the-back pass attempt late in the game to Javin that would possibly get him murdered by Coach K if it occurred later, later in the season. I think the biggest, I don't want to say concern, just something to watch how he improves on as time goes on is how he how he works with the high screen, it literally looked like he could, he wasn't quite sure what to do with it. When Javin would set a high screen, he wasn't sure if he should uh, work with Javin, if he should uh, dribble off, if he should use it as a legit pick and roll. Um, so that's just something I'm really interested to see how that develops later on. His jumper, that's what, uh, that that's something to watch because he has a tendency to bring the ball into his chin, which causes his elbow to flare out. I mean, it has some tendencies uh, visually to look a lot like Mike Bibby. So when he goes up straight, it looks better. I think his first three-point jumper was, uh, I mean, you could, the, the mechanics, the technique was all out of whack. After that, though, he did miss, but the mechanics did look better. They're not going to look great with Wendell at this point in time. You can't change it all in like a couple months. So it is what it is with his mechanics, but I think the big thing is repetition with him. You just don't want it to be different every time. I I like the way it looked coming out of his hands. It's just it, it didn't go down. Bottom line, it didn't go down. But you don't want him to pass that shot up, and I, I do think it'll improve. I think his slashing to the rim, as I said, became a lot more decisive um, as uh, the, the game wore on, and it's just kind of, I think with him, he is going to have the biggest room to grow based on what I saw out of him the first time I saw him. So this is like legit against, I don't want to say quality competition because, I mean, it's it's a scrimmage. But from what I, if I'm going to count this as the first time really watching Wendell, I think he might have the most ability to grow of any Duke player throughout the season because... He wasn't very impressive on offense. On defense, I mean, at, at the end of the game, I mean, he was part of that, uh, if you want to call it a uh, full-court press. And I, I do think he uh, played some good D on, uh, I mean, I think, he, what was he on? Um, was he on Jack White most of the time? or No, Jack White was hurt. Um, what else? Uh, I'm not even sure. <laughs> but uh, well, Wendell, I, I think he showed potential, at least, uh, Oh, he was on Joey Baker. That's why I couldn't remember. But um, so he really, I guess that's why you didn't really hear about him much on defense because the ball wasn't going to Baker most of the time. But I do think Wendell can be very impactful on defense. Um, 
I think when he was matched up against Stanley, that was a fun that was a fun match at the time. So Wendell, I think he's going to be able to give bits of everything to Duke this season. I think he might have actually the highest ceiling of anybody on Duke. When it comes down to it, NBA ceiling, I'm not sure if he'll, you'll see all of it, but by the end of the season, I think there'll be plenty of glimpses in the, in the potential and possibilities of what could be down the line. Matthew Hurt, extremely smooth, extremely confident when under control and playing at his own pace. He has been quoted himself saying he wants to be a matchup nightmare. Defenders are definitely going to try to speed him up. Definitely. And off the dribble, it's a totally different story compared to uh, when he is spotting up and uh, in the post. He, yeah, I mean, it's just he's kind of, it didn't look as natural. And that's something I really wanted to see because there wasn't much footage of uh, Matthew Hurt in full games with all the context from what was going on around him. So I didn't get to see him take take anyone off the dribble much. And I guess he just, it, it's a learning process. He didn't embrace contact like you'd hope uh, when he was down low. So I think that's something he, he's got to be able to embrace that contact. But that was uh, him and Jack White were matched up. Credit Jack White for making it difficult for him. On defense, he does swipe too much. He's got to move the feet better. That'll be a work in progress. Um, he, I mean, he's still filling out. He's still getting stronger. He is, I mean, they said, uh, I believe uh, Spatola said he was, whatever he benched, I can't remember the exact weight, but he's not, he's not strong. So I think that that'll be something where, I mean, the, the physicality when he is down low, you hope he just doesn't hang out outside because, well, his outside shot, I think that is uh, lethal for Duke. I mean, he hit that first in transition from Trey. He's got that high Excuse him. He's got a really high release, tough to block, and he had a couple others where a couple other attempts where it looked good. I mean, looks a lot smoother than a Wendell Moore type of release. I mean, both their shots look good. It just didn't go down. But it's not. I I think we gotta watch out for comparing it to last year, because I mean, these are just a totally different type of players and skill sets and everything. Uh, Spatola gave a Ryan Kelly comparison. Makes sense. But keep in mind, Ryan Kelly didn't get any sort of legit minutes till halfway through his second season in 2011. He only scored double digits in four of his last 17 games that year, including a grand total of zero against Arizona in that NCAA tournament loss, which nobody wants to remember. So, yeah, I mean, if he's like a freshman year Ryan, Ryan Kelly, I don't know how much he can contribute. I think he's more advanced than that. I mean, Ryan Kelly, you also have to, I mean, apply the context where Duke was very, very uh, upper-class reliant, but at the same time, if Ryan Kelly was playing, I don't think he could have made much of an impact. Um, but, uh, I mean, all, all these freshmen, they're, they're, I mean, even from like a 2010 type of time period, they're all so much more advanced. It's really nuts. Um, every, every, All the freshmen come really ready to contribute, just some more than others, but they're all much more ready than they used to be. All right, so let's talk about Cassius Stanley. This is a guy who, again, I barely watched any of these guys in high school. When I did watch, he would disappear for long periods of time. He looked really small out there. And it just shows when you're not watching much, the sample size, you just take it, and you're like, oh, this could be, but, and it's just totally like whatever. So, yeah, I mean, that's why I'm happy I didn't say anything without giving a million qualifiers. And what I did say was very minimal because I do pride myself on my ability to project things. And 
there's nothing that I saw about Cassius Stanley in high school that really you would have seen coming in terms of this uh, blue-white scrimmage. It's like Zion Williamson. You just didn't know if he was a basketball player when he was entering college. You knew he was an athlete. You knew he was a, kind of that freak athlete. Very quickly in Canada, you found out he was a basketball player. A very, very intelligent, poised, and just and the way he anticipated very quickly. And we didn't get that with Canada. And uh, I, w- I wish we did because that really gave me a head start on last year's team. But we didn't, so this was my first look. And Cassius Stanley, he's a, he's a, he's a baller, man. Like I, I mean, blew me away, really. Poised. Just super, super poised. So poised and calm, honestly. Did I think he made one of the most impressive plays by a Duke player I've seen in years? And I can't say how many, I can't say I'm sure how many even like noticed or cared. Like it's really wild. I mean, I think it was like, I mean, um, what I call the uh, the Duke propaganda account, the Duke men's basketball account. I mean, all they did, like, it is like, it's wild the stuff they tweet. It's just nonstop, like, it's 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 funny anyway um but uh they ranked it like number four the play i'm talking about but uh, i mean what he did on that is just okay so i mean when you slow down i mean well i i mean aoc was actually playing great defense way up on stanley at the right wing and uh, when carry comes up to give a side screen before popping out to the three-point line is an option there he kind of inadvertently allows Javin to trap Winston. So what happens? All right, so Cassius splits the double by dribbling through his legs back to front and stops on a dime to hit an insane floater over an incoming Matthew Hurt. And I was just like, what the hell? Like, the skill level involved in making that play from the dribble to the floater is off the charts. And he, was, he just like kind of went back on defense, like, hey, it ain't no thing. And I'm just like, I don't need Like, if he had reacted more with people like I don't know it's just like that was nuts that was absolutely nuts like what did it was it because he didn't dunk is that the reason like people like I I don't know that 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 was insane to me insane I mean there was also a play when he took Wendell Moore off the dribble early on with then got a little stutter step gather soft bank off the glass just before Javin came for the block attempt just super crafty I mean, he even brought the ball up against Trey as the point guard with Goldwire taking a short rest. He turned it over once when he uh, he actually jumped to pass on the break, and he couldn't quite get the ball from his right to his left hand to pass to Vernon Carey, so he kind of had to chuck it at the last second with his right hand, ended up inaccurate with the uh, momentum kind of fading him away, and later on he forced a shot, and he took accountability both times. Understandable. He understood his mistakes, didn't make any excuse, and obviously he just, you're like, just don't make an excuse. I mean, it's great that he took accountability, but I mean, it's still, it's just something to notice whether or not he keeps making those type of plays, then it's different, but it's, it's not like he's, I don't know. It's, it's just, he's really, he looks me, he looked mature out there. Really mature. Great movement off the ball. Great movement off the ball. And, uh, I mean, I'll talk about with the yeah, Alex O'Connell defense. I mean, there was two straight possessions. He actually backdoored Alex O'Connell. He was actually, he actually only got the pass on one of them. But I mean, he, he looks like a he legit looks like an NFL receiver there. Just ability to change direction, stop on a dime. So the energy really, really impressive. There's also a play when he almost made a, a tough one-hander. 
he kind of he went to his um his right then came back to his left inside did a great job to keep his pivot foot almost made the shot with his left hand but either way i mean it's just it's like salivating potential for his skill set and that made me as excited as anything i mean just crazy balance and coordination and then so i was talking before about uh the shots that weren't threes and weren't layups or dunks i mean we're I'm not saying that uh, Cassius Stanley is in is on this level, but it just got me thinking, like, who have the best, like, mid-range jump shooters been? And, I mean, I thought about, like, Rodney Hood, he was a good one. I mean, 2013, like, Seth Curry and Ryan Kelly were amazing. Um, I mean, there's just no comparison. At least I'm just talking about, like, in recent years. I mean, Luke Kennard was definitely the best. I mean, in 2017... The synergy stats I looked up, and I was like, oh, let's see how good he is. And like, whoa. I mean, he was, yeah, he was amazing as I remembered. It's just kind of funny when the stats do match up to exactly what you remember. Um, from uh, jump shots 17 feet and in, he shot 55%. I mean, that's that's nuts. He, he, actually, he actually took 21 more jump shots from 17 feet and in than the entire 2015 Duke team combined. <laughs> that's, that's something. That is something. Uh, he was number one in the country, the entire country, taking more than 41 shots. Number five in the country among those taking more than 26 shots. I mean, yeah. So, uh, yeah, he had, a, he had a couple of really nice, I mean, just the form, so pure for, I'm, I'm talking about Cassius Stanley again now. So, I'm not saying he's Luke Kennard, but it's a lot to be excited about. I think uh, there was one play when he lost O'Connell coming around because he was pointing to the inside. He was trying to help out, but it's never like a total lack of awareness and the defensive intensity nonstop really kept up. I mean, Cassius Stanley, I mean, they need guys that can really create and Cassius Stanley, well, it was limited in terms of how many times he did. And uh, the, the only longer jumper I saw him take was uh, when AOC, he went, he kind of gambled for a steal and tipped it but didn't get it. Stanley caught it and kind of immediately shot it just in front of uh, the uh, three-point line, the baseline. His momentum was fading and kind of the ball went the other way. He tried to overcompensate. It wasn't pretty. I think that was actually like one of the first plays of the game. So we'll, we'll have to see if that jumper, how it goes. But there's a lot to be excited about with this kid. I mean, it's tough to imagine him not as the uh, shooting guard if he keeps going and shows more of what he showed at the uh, at the scrimmage. All right, Alex O'Connell, the roller coaster continues for Alex O'Connell. The roller coaster continues. And uh, as I mentioned, the team at this point, they currently need guys who can create off the dribble, and O'Connell can. He can create off the dribble. What he creates is another story, but he was more often than not he was making quality plays on offense. Um, I mentioned how on defense he gambled, let up an open catch stop from the baseline, managed to get backdoored by Cash's uh, two straight possessions later in the game from the uh, left wing and then above the break, which made my head explode. I think that's when I had to stop watching. But on offense, I mean, he still really moves well off the ball. He still really creates action and havoc. He got some offensive rebounds. He hit his first three. Um... After that, then uh, I think that was, uh, I mean, he had he had the open shots. He did have the open shots. Actually, it's interesting because the only three he hit was well-guarded. 
So they actually ran a 2015 type of play for O'Connell just to have him be able to create like they often did with uh, Winslow and uh, and even Grayson Allen in that final. So it was, let's see here, is the sixth, pos- sixth possession by the white team, 12th possession overall. And uh, let's see, it started out with a horn set with uh, Javin at the left elbow, Hurd at the right. And it was, I mean, as soon as I saw it, I was like, this is that, it, this is the pin toss. This is the uh, horn pin toss showing a lot in that 2015 offense. And uh, yeah, on this possession, it was run for O'Connell where Trey, he bounced past to hurt at the right elbow, heads to the right baseline. AOC curls around Javin's screen at the left elbow to get Hurt's dribble handoff above the break. Switch Jack White onto him. And uh, Baker went down with Hurt down low and AOC just faced up White, drained a three in his eyeball. I mean, that's something where, like, yeah, I mean, I would, to, to run that type of thing, at least that specific type of horn set, you need guys you can create, so we'll have to see. But, like, O'Connell, say what you want about him, he can create. So, and then there was the play where, as I mentioned early on, where he created for Javin Delorier. So, I mean, there's there's the, there, you got, there's the good and the bad with O'Connell, and, um, yeah, I mean, there, there's still he will be used, and he will be used in I think important times. I think the starting two guard position that is uh, Stanley's to lose, but you never know. You absolutely never know. I mean, O'Connell, he still looks confident. I'll give him that, and he still still creates. I mean, with the uh, with uh, his shooting, I mean, he's proven he can nail him against the zone. He's one of the best in the country against the zone. Not the story against man-to-man defense. So it kind of, I mean, obviously the scrimmage was man. And O'Connell wasn't hitting after the first. So we'll see if he gets more consistent from deep. Jack White, there's only so much you can say about Jack. It's just, it was just great to see him back to being the glue guy, doing everything which doesn't, which hasn't, which doesn't, and won't get attention. Talked a ton. Played super physical on defense, especially, I mean, that is not an easy matchup against Matthew Hurt made quality passes, as I said, led the team in assists, led the white team, and even had more total than the blue team, if I'm saying that correctly. I don't know who was white and who was... Yeah, yeah, because he he was Jack White, and he was on the blue team. No, so yeah, he had more than the white team, six assists. So, I mean, it's everything you could want. I guess some were hoping he'd be able to hit a three, and I think his three-point shooting might be the difference between getting spot minutes and getting, like, really, like, consistent rotation minutes, but... In terms of what he does and everything, it's kind of like, I mean, it's it's like Delorier in a different type of way, though. And uh, I, I think there's definitely, definitely, he will, be, he will be, he will have a consistent role on this team. If he can hit shots, I think he could be a key role. Justin Robinson loved his defense, can guard inside and out, stuck with Trey twice, really, <laughs> I mean, blocked Trey inside and outside twice. He stuck to his role on offense. I I still think Kay was kind of praising him more just as a feel-good thing, though I'm in no way saying that Justin Robinson did not deserve it. Um, but, I mean, I, I still doubt he'll make any sort of consistent rotational impact against legit opponents during the season, though you never know. I mean, he could provide a spark, like against Pittsburgh in 2018. He provided a spark there, so he can be a spark guy and uh, – yeah, I don't see him as a consistent rotation player, but he, he can make a difference at times, um, possibly. Uh, Jordan Goldwire, people saying Jordan Goldwire outplayed Trey Jones is peak Twitter idiocy. 
I mean, Jordan was fine. He intelligently made the plays he could make within his skill set. I mean, he even understood he actually had a chance to uh, take a defender off the dribble on one possession when Alex O'Connell was switched onto him. <laughs> his his uh, shot rimmed out there. But uh, I think overall, I mean, he played well. I, I think it, it's just a matter of what his skill set allows him to do. He hit, he hit that first three. I mean, he missed a, I think he missed like two others. Or, no, no, he missed the free throws. He only shot that one three. I mean, if he hit threes, I, I don't think that one made – Three convinced me or proved that he's like a uh, knockdown three-point shooter. We'll see. I, I mean, I do think him and Trey, we will see him in the backcourt at the same time plenty this season, um, especially if there's a – especially if like uh, Winston uh, – I mean, I'm sorry, Winston. Uh, Cassius Stanley, he isn't able to quite lock down like huge minutes at the two-guard spot. I think we could definitely see it. And, hey, I mean, you, you – you know that Goldwire is going to provide the defensive effort. All right, Joey Baker. I mean, it's going to sound like me or something. If it wasn't written down in the box score, there's no way anyone could have convinced me Joey Baker played 13-plus minutes. No way. I mean, he's just got to do something to, like, make himself visible, earn a role. Because it wasn't like he was doing the under-the-radar stuff. I mean, he just he didn't do anything horribly negative. It was just oddly... He was kind of invisible. I mean, so hopefully he can uh, make himself more visible. <laughs> I guess there's really no other way to say that because, I mean, again, I'm not going by, like, box score stuff here, but, I mean, it is just kind of, let's see, he uh, yeah, 13 minutes, 11 seconds. He was one of two in the field, one rebound, two personal fouls, zero assists, two turnovers. Uh, one rebound, uh, one steal. I mean, zero blocks. I mean, uh, it's 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 tough to like be out there that long and not really do anything. But like I said, he re- he he wasn't a negative, I guess. So yeah, I don't know. Um, either way, I, I mean, uh, that's pretty that's pretty much it. I mean, I guess you could say like the white team they got more offensive rebounds, and a lot of that probably had to do with missed shots and just jabbing Delorier. Uh, the uh, blue team got more assists. Uh, a lot of that had to do with Vernon Carey and just the ability to uh, play through him. But that, the team will be combined. You combine the best of both worlds, and hopefully it all kind of works out, which uh, will take another step with the exhibition games. The uh, first one is on Saturday. So, yeah, that, that pretty much sums up my thoughts, uh, at least the, these initial thoughts. I mean, with the uh, season preview, once we've watched more of the uh, how this team at least develops within the next week or so, yeah, I'll be able to kind of go more in-depth on each player, but there's there's only so much you can say at this point. So, again, stick. If you want to hear more kind of in-depth about each play, stick around, but... Uh, one thing I, I, which I totally forgot to do last time is I, I do just want to, I mean, I'm a music nerd. I want to get this out there. So the closing 180, which was actually intended, it's not just 180 degrees um, opposite. It is. But I also wanted to kind of have it as like 180 degrees, 180 seconds as well, where you could just, where me and my co-host could just talk about whatever, not, not like any sort of preaching, not, not anything like that, just kind of. I always want to come off as a human being. Like, it's really weird to me 
when somebody says, oh, content, whenever that word content is used, it almost sounds like inhuman. Like I'm not producing content. Like this is me given Duke analysis. I want you to think this is Adam. This isn't like robot, a robot thing. So either, anyway, I mean, I, let's, let's, uh, let's do some music stuff because I mean, I, I think I mentioned it like when I first did the uh, closing 180, when I announced it, I said like originally I wanted this all under kind of a Comoros corner umbrella and there would be a music podcast. I couldn't find anyone to do this, to do that with me and to commit the time there. So I'll just, I'll, I'll, on a lot of these, I'll use it as to kind of recommend uh, music stuff. I won't go in depth into each just to kind of shout them out. And if anyone's interested, they can check them out. And I, I will put the links in the uh, podcast description each time um, and maybe put it, put it on Twitter as well. But uh, yeah, so uh, I think, and sometimes I'll do it differently. I think last time I did like an analytics thing for my closing 180, but here we go. All right. So my closing 180s uh, first is uh, C red. Uh, and one thing I, I, I noticed after on the, uh, the music, the music recommendations I gave a couple podcasts ago, there were, I think it was pretty much like all dudes. So let, let's uh, let's get some ladies in here. Uh, C Red, a female rapper with "I'm Ready," a new EP. Rapper from Texas, really, really impressive, really lyrical. Another female rapper, if I'm pronouncing this right, Elise or, Eli- or Eliza. Uh, her, she has an EP pieces. She's a rapper from Maryland, really good. Kind of reminds me of the the. Uh, Bahamadia or Bahamadia um, vibe. Or, uh, what was that? A uh, early mid '90s, I think mid mid to late '90s female rapper, really intelligent. We got X Hex, a uh, kind of shredtastic female, uh, like really kind of that, that power pop or power power rock kind of uh, group, and they are just really kick ass. Uh, Octo Octa album Resonant Baby kind of reminds me of the mid 90s that rave culture there's all kinds of different genres of dance here from techno to house to acid to drum to to drum and bass to trance to jungle just really good dance album and definitely not anything sort of mainstream um just really catchy everything is just awesome uh Swimming Bell an album Wild Sight it's produced by uh, Oil Deacon, who with his band Low Pines, that was actually my favorite album of 2018, called In uh, Silver, if, uh, I don't know how to pronounce this word, it's either In Silver Halidos or Halidos, but amazing album, sort of dream pop-ish, so she is a singer-songwriter, but it has that really atmospheric dream pop sort of vibe, it's really enjoyable. Jamila Woods' Legacy Legacy. This is, I mean, I guess this is the closest I've gotten to mainstream with my recommendations um, so far. Each song on her album is the, uh, it's, it's the first name of a poor person really influential to black culture, as just well as culture in general, and specifically in the way Jamila was influenced by what they represented um, to her. And she's just, I mean, soul R&B, just really intelligent, just, re, just really layered music, and just damn impressive album uh, Black Pumas a self-title they uh, really soulful really groovy very retro just awesome really fun album WH Long with an album Incidental Music I would almost like invent a new genre for this it's like synth jam it's like we think of uh, synth music um, some people like kind of reminds them of the 80s type of thing with like synth wave and all that and then it's like jam band because like it just really is this extended type. It's just very different. I think it's really cool. Um, then uh, let's see here. Sam Slick, some vibrant dream. 
rooted as a singer-songwriter, but the music's eclectic, from college radio-type indie rock to roots to desert rock to soul to everything. I stumbled across this one day and think this is the type of album which typically gets ignored without promo, which, and I think it deserves more attention. Lastly, Lincoln Marshall. That is a rap group with a Milk Drop and Approach, two rappers from Kansas. Milk Drop's 2018 album, The Leavenworth Story, is one of my favorite rap releases of the last couple of years. A really great album, really intelligent, love it. Um, so again, link, the group is Lincoln Marshall and, uh, oh crap, uh, what is it, what is it uh, title? Let's see here, Lincoln Marshall, Wisdom. The, the album is called Wisdom, sorry about that. All right, so then uh, there's one non-music. I actually recommended a podcast last time, which was uh, Behind a Paywall. So my bad. I can't even listen to it now. So, yeah, I need to like check into that. Uh, the Big Ronde Teacher's Lounge is the opposite. That was Behind a Paywall. Now it's free. It's another E-Wolf podcast. It's teachers just being as crazy as possible, like literally crazy. And I can't even explain how nuts it is and funny, so... Yeah, yeah, check that out. Definitely check that out. Wild humor. So stay stay with me, and uh, yeah, we'll we'll get into the kind of the play by play. But for those who are good with what I have described, um, as of now in the uh, in in the blue white scrimmage, stick with me as well for later episodes. I will be back soon. If you're interested in being a co-host, hit me up. Duke Basketball Corner Gmail. Please rate and review. And either way, a lot to look forward to with this Duke team. Thank you so much for listening to Duke Basketball Corner. I am Adam Comaro. Ladies, gents, one thing remains. Get ready for the entertainment. guys if you're still with me you are now going to hear kind of my thoughts for the blue white scrimmage of of the 2019 countdown to craziness just going down each play and uh, my thoughts on what exactly happened this isn't I am not a coach I am not trying to I'm, I'm not going to be able to say the exact sets and everything for each time I have I do have um, good knowledge about what's going on, but in terms of all of the terminology, I'm not going to pretend to be an expert there and never will, but I do have an ability to kind of see what's going on and project and just give my thoughts because I just I, I will always put in the time. So this is just going to be what I see. It doesn't mean everything I see is right, but it just gives a little context. All right, so um, possessions. First possession, blue one. Really deep position for Vernon Carey. Got great spacing to give room in the middle of the court. Perfect bounce pass entry above the break by Jack White. Soft lefty turnaround for Vernon. Great to see. Got that play really work quickly. Great spacing. Shot clock 15 seconds left, so it all ran really smoothly. Uh, possession 2, White possession 1. What are they even running? I mean, it seems like nothing. So eventually, Javin sets a solid PNR for Trey, takes it all the way to the rim, and is blocked on an attempted driving lefty scoop by Vernon Carey. Though you could definitely argue it sure seemed like it was on its way down. Um, he's, and it seemed like he could have had Javin on an alley oop rolling to the basket or diving to the basket. Javin pointed up, it was there. 
I wouldn't even say it seemed like it. He had him. But Trey's head was down in the drive, possibly predetermining the shot. Javin collects the loose ball, spins back in for a close chance, but Jack White really plays some unbelievable defense to challenge the shot. That's, that is such a Jack White type of defensive play. Uh, Trey's initial shot came with nine seconds left. Not a very pretty um, possession to get that initial shot. Um, possession three, blue two. Quick pass inside to Carey, who spots Jack White for an open three on the right wing. It's a really solid closeout by Javin. Still a good look for Jack. He really should hit that, to be honest. Uh, O'Connell tips the ball out to Trey and is pretty much off to the races. So um, Jack's shot came with, uh, let's see, uh, 24 seconds to go on the shot clock. So And he is wide open. You should take that. Uh, fourth possession, white two. And uh, I have a little hashtag, transition Trey, because I always, uh, that's what I would always put on Twitter last year, because Trey in transition, I mean, it's just, it was awesome. I mean, he's really smart, really quick. Find that when he when he gets the lane when there's space, he good things would happen in transition. That's where most of his assists came early on in the year. I think he had more transition assists even than half court assists for a portion of the season. He whips a half court pass to Hurt in transition. Who's open though? Even I mean Jack White actually closes surprisingly quickly, but this is where Hurt's uh, height, quick release, high release allows him to drain the first a field goal attempt of this of the season from deep. So his shot came with 26 on the clock, obviously in transition. So uh, great vision by Trey in transition. Uh, number five, blue three. I'm uh, not sure the screen action because of the camera placement, but Stanley is designed to get the ball from Goldwire. And when O'Connell gambles and tries to jump the lane but only slightly tips the ball, Cassius is able to recover it and have space for a long jumper from the baseline. His dribble to the left as he rises really threw off his balance, though, and he's still fading to the left as the shot is released, so he's probably overcompensating by aiming right, and the shot really misses way right off the front rim. The momentum of the miss allows Wendell Moore to have an easy route and a head start for the breakaway, so Winston's shot came with 19. Uh, possession 6, white 3, Wendell Moore all alone for that dunk. Stanley actually, it almost seems like he's about to catch up and seems ready to contest, but then it's like he remembered, oh, wait, this is a blue-white scrimmage. I probably shouldn't do that. And, uh, yeah, if it was Kansas, I'd hope and expect a contest from him there. But, yeah, I mean, probably it's not worth it. All right, uh, possession seven, blue four. The blue strategy on offense seems entirely based around getting the ball inside to Vernon Carey. But Javin does, does he does a great job fronting Carey and forcing the action elsewhere. At 13 seconds left on the shot clock, Stanley's matched up against Moore in the right wing and takes him to the bucket, losing Wendell in a stutter step, barely gathering, getting it off for a soft bounce off the glass and in just as Javin comes over for the block attempt. I mean, it's just super, super crafty move. And, I mean, at this point, I hadn't seen Winston. I didn't know what to expect. To be honest, wow. I was, I was blown away. I mean, that shot came with 11 seconds left. Just a really crafty, crafty move. Um, possession eight, uh, white four. There needs to be some sort of gray area in the switch everything Duke motto. The ease with which Jack White let Goldwire be switched onto Matthew Hurt for him to take Trey seems a bit out of hand. Like, what the hell is, is Goldwire supposed to do with a 6'10 Matthew Hurt? Initially, it seemed uh, Hurt wanted it over the top, but Trey probably smartly, since uh, Vernon Carey was anticipating it to help over, uh, Trey makes an extra pass over to O'Connell, who quickly gives to Javin at the left over at the left elbow, 
and Javin throws just a perfect high pass to Hurt at the rim. I mean, you, you could if you want to nitpick, you could say, oh, he should have just dunked it in. I mean, the pass was perfect. But Hurt, who, who, who comes down with it, gathers, and then lays it in after coming down and gathering, could he have dunked it for an alley possibly? But again, that's nitpicking. Either way, great, great pass by Javin. Great job in rec- by recognizing the shot. Uh, so that Hurt shot came with 15 seconds to go. Possession 9, blue 5. It's kind of odd that Trey's not putting more ball pressure on Jordan Goldwire. That's what I noticed here. Uh, Vernon Carey sets a screen at the right wing, and when Javin collapses inside, it would have been a great opportunity for a pick and pop for Carey, either at the three-point line or the right elbow. The chance was there, but uh, Goldwire never even looked at it, so I wish he had. I wish he had. Baker drifts out to the three-point line while O'Connell stays under the rim. I have no idea why. I guess that's like kind of... Just an Alex O'Connell thing. Uh, let's wait till Baker actually shows an inside ability before doing anything but preventing him from getting open looks. So O'Connell being so far away hurts when Stanley kind of gives him an ever slow slight, slight bump. Um, when O'Connell comes back out, uh, causes, causes a fraction of a second delay and allows Baker to get the shot off. It misses, but uh, still, it's too good of a look. O'Connell's got to get out there. Uh, Baker's shot came with 17 seconds on the shot clock. Possession 10, white 5. Javin board Baker's miss, quickly gives to Trey, who finds the lane in between Goldwire and Carey at half court and jets ahead. Trey gets deep into the lane and just whips a left-handed uh, pass cross-court to Hurt as White comes over to help. Baker gets a hand on the ball, but it gets through the lane and to Hurt, who uh, misses a wide-open three-point attempt in rhythm. I would say, I mean, that's just a great all-around play by Trey. It didn't get the desire, desired result, but it's great to build on there. I mean, that's two really impressive plays by Trey in transition. I mean, that's why I always say the hashtag transition Trey. Uh, possession 11, blue 6. Great quick outlet by uh, Vernon Carey to Goldwire after Hertz miss, who gives the ball up to Stanley, which may have been a bit early. And it's smart of uh, Cassius not to force the shot. Really smart. I mean, that's the kind of... That's that high IQ play there I started noticing really quickly. He waits a second longer, gives up that transition advantage, but with the white team still recovering to find their assignments, he gives to Goldwire with Jordan's defender at the time, who happens to be hurt, still in the paint, and Jordan, he doesn't hesitate, drains the three. So, yeah, I mean, that's great to see that there was no hesitation after the struggles with Goldwire shooting last season, but I think it was smart. a lot of that was created by Stanley. So, good play there. Uh, possession 12, white 6. The pace is slowed for half-court possession, starting out with horns. This is what I talked about um, in the other kind of half of the pod with uh, the way Duke ran a play for O'Connell, similar to 2015. Javin left elbow, hurt right elbow. Looks like the uh, specific pin toss shown a lot in the 2015 offense to get Justice Winslow the ball at the top of the key to make a play. On this possession, it's run for O'Connell. Uh, Trey uh, bounce pass to Hurt at the right elbow and then heads to the right baseline. O'Connell curls around Javin's screen at the left elbow to get Hurt's dribble hand off above the break, switches Jack White onto him, and uh, kind of takes Baker with him, with him down low. So that's where Baker is and Hurt is. And so AOC faces up White, drains a three in his eye. Really, really nice play. I think there's we're, we're hoping we can see more plays run for a guy just to get a bucket this season. Maybe... O'Connell will get a bunch, maybe Stanley, and maybe Wendell more later on when he gets more confidence, but good good play run for O'Connell. 
All right, uh, 13, blue 7. There is the trade defensive uh, prep ball pressure we are waiting for. It's really annoying the hell out of Goldwire and forcing the eventual turnover. Jordan can barely even get to the Jack White high ball screen, and Trey even almost pokes the ball loose from behind when the screen does come. Really a Trey specialty poking that loose from behind. Uh, Wendell Moore plays instinctual defense on Baker. This is like this is something to look for in uh, Wendell, just the, the, the mental aspect. He sticks with him for a few seconds as Joey dribbles from the three-point line in the corner to the elbow, but you could sense that Wendell knows Baker doesn't want to create for himself, rather wants to work it to, to uh, Vernon Carey down low. So as Baker picks up the dribble, Moore suddenly backs off Carey and anticipates the telegraph bounce pass inside and picks it off with, te- with 10 seconds on the shot clock. Just a really, really good mental uh, defensive play by Vernon Carey. I mean, I'm sorry, by uh, Wendell Moore. Possession 14, white 7. All right, so Javin passes ahead to Trey, who gets out in transition but doesn't have the numbers. Even so, he stops and pops from the three-point line. All right, so it's easy to play the result here, but the shot, it didn't look natural, more of a chuck than a smooth release. I'm not even upset with the actual decision. I thought it came in good rhythm despite the lack of numbers. Um, yeah, I just It didn't look natural, though. Uh, so Carey turns his back and watches, despite his uh, man Javin heading down behind him. He got a box out. So Javin times his run perfectly and just takes Trey's miss immediately off the rim, slamming it home, one motion. Love it. I mean, that's just peak Javin right there. Javin Deloria. Possession 15, blue 8. Amazing possession by Vernon Carey. Terrific. Immediately is past the ball at the left elbow. Doesn't have a play, so skips it out to Jack White, three-point line above the break. Jack White waves uh, Stanley around to the opposite side of the court and AOC up top from the baseline in order to give space inside. And then Jack takes a few dribbles to his right for a better entry angle. I mean, and if you remember, last season's team was horrific at entry pass to the post. I mean, they had to have turned it over so many times, even just versus Michigan State, because they didn't know how to enter it into the post. It was ridiculous. So Kerry, he kept his feet moving to get across the court, setting up shop on the, on the uh, right block. I would like to see Javin try to at least be a little more physical with him to prevent such uh, easy, or not maybe easy, but deep position. But uh, I guess Carey wasn't super deep when catching the pass. Carey shows excellent footwork, drop-stepping Javin after faking left and going back right, and finishes in between Javin and uh, O'Connell, who kind of sort of not really came over to help. Possession 16, white 8. Trey dribbles off the attempted Javin high screen, then misses Javin diving to the rim again for a potential alley-oop. The first time, it's eh. But the second time this has happened, it's worth note. It's worth noting. And it's uh, you'd like Trey to at least attempt the pass. I mean, he takes the last dribble, really took him too deep. So by that time, it's too late. You want him to be able to anti- excuse me. You want him to be able to anticipate. Um, on both plays, Javin definitely knew the possibility was there. Pointed up each time. Moore eventually gets the ball near the right baseline and enters into Javin which much, without much of an angle on Vernon Carey. Here, I'd like to see Carey pressure Javin more, especially since Javin most likely will be a passer in that situation rather than a scorer. But Javin's able to scan the floor and whip a two-handed pass out to Jack White up top, who in, mo- who in one motion hits Trey wide open on the left baseline. So it's great passing all around, started by Javin. And here, 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 if you're going to worry about, like, a bad reminder about last year, Goldwire doesn't even attempt to get to get out on Trey. But the shot is clanked anyway. That's tough. 
All right, so AFC understands who's shooting. Rim runs for the offensive rebound around Baker when Joey doesn't box out. As often with AOC, though, an exciting positive play is also, is often followed by a kind of W2F play. And I'm not sure if he was passing to Trey or Matthew Hurt. I would assume Hurt. But the pass is too hot for Trey, and the ball bounces right off his hands, leading to a transition break for Blue. Possession 19, Blue 9. Blue has a two-on-one break if Jack White's outlet can be completed. But instead of throwing to the left or the right, for Stanley or Goldwire, he somehow goes right down the middle, and the pass is uh, stolen by Moore. Possession 18, white 9, Moore stops and pops in transition. His balance and his weight distribution look good, and the shot release, even with all of his issues, it's not terrible. But the shot does go long as Baker closes out. Great rebound by Jack White in a crowd with a nice outlet to Goldwire for a two-on-one break. And a re- really nice rebound, because there was... There's a lot of uh, clutter inside. There was a, it was a crowd. Um, possession 19, blue 10, gold wire to Stanley, who glides in for the transition layup with little resistance put up by Trey besides a swipe at the ball for good measure. Um, it's interesting because I was looking at uh, the play-by-play uh, through that, and I don't know why. They give this just to Jack White on the Duke website. It's interesting. By the way, well, one thing that I did notice also with the Duke website is uh, – they are tracking individual on-off points per minute. Like, why? What is the point of that? Like, you track points per possession. What does points per minute have to do with anything? Like, I don't understand how you're supposed to, like, judge points per minute. If you're playing Virginia, I mean, there's only so many opportunities you're going to have or something. I mean, it's a really weird thing. I mean, they have all the stats available. I don't, I, anyway, odd. All right, possession 20, white 10. Uh, Moore comes up, sets a screen to switch Baker onto Hurt as uh, Jack White guards Wendell. Uh, Javin sets a high screen, but White blows it up by jumping it. Really, really smart, awesome defense, anticipating. Javin recognizes the offense being bogged down, so he goes back out to the three-point line at the right wing for the angle to enter it into Matthew Hurt. Hurt draws the foul. I'd like to see a stronger move by him against Baker. It's more that he's bailed out than actually drawing the foul. Not real physical. All right, so then, so that's when we get the under-16 timeout. And uh, I'll only mention the score at the media timeouts. White 12, blue 11. Doesn't really matter. All right, uh, coming back. Blue, uh, possession 21, blue 11. O'Connell's all about the defense, way up on Stanley at the right wing. This is, the, I mean, this is one of the most impressive plays, as I mentioned in the other part of the podcast, when Kerry comes up to give a side screen before popping out to the three-point line as an option there. He inadvertently allows Javin to trap Cassius. So what happens? Stanley splits the double by dribbling through his legs back to front, stops on a dime to hit an insane floater over an incoming Matthew Hurt. And I was just like, what the hell? The skill level involved in making that play from the dribble to the floater is off the charts. Off the charts. Possession 22, white 11. Wendell gets the ball on the left wing as he does throughout the scrimmage. Uh, Looks as he does throughout the scrimmage, when he gets that uh, kind of high screen, he, he, he doesn't look sure what to do, whether to accept or... I don't know. Um, Trey takes Javin... I'm sorry. Trey takes Goldwire off the dribble, slashing to the free throw line, but uh, Jack White shows just long enough to stop Trey and get back to Wendell. That's the type of D that'll go overlooked by most, but is crucial with what Jack did, just kind of showing slowing up Trey. 
Javin dives from the high screen for Trey, forcing uh, Stanley to stay down low to prevent a rim run for Delorier. So that leaves Jack White to take AOC and more, who space well enough along the baseline to force Jack to choose O'Connell when Trey passes to Alex. So you got uh, one defender on basically two guys, and when the uh, guy with the ball makes that extra pass and the, space, and the spacing is good enough, like uh, O'Connell and... Uh, and Jack White, it, it can work out well. So, um, yeah, so O'Connell got that shot. The correct swing pass is made to Wendell Moore. I'm sorry, let me, let me go again. All right, so AOC and Moore space well enough along the baseline to force Jack to choose O'Connell when Trey passes to Alex. The correct swing pass is made to Moore, who misses the wide-open corner three. And you can see Wendell leaning into it. This is the only one I saw where the mechanics just got all screwed up because it's almost like he's just hoping. He's really kind of, You can see him trying to guide the ball with his body, and the balance is just super off. He's wishing it in rather than trusting his mechanics. So hopefully that improves. His shot came with six seconds left. So that's the uh, shot clock was winding down there. Possession 23, blue 12. Stanley goes coast to coast off the rebound and sees Carey next to the basket, but jumps to pass, doesn't transfer the ball into his left hand cleanly from his right. So it kind of forces a right-handed pass, which sells out of bounds with his momentum driving it off target. Good vision. Got to be careful on those jump passes. If it came from his left hand, it would have been on target, at least I feel. But yeah, if you're going to jump pass, you better be good because jump passes are not a coach's dream. Possession 24, white 12, good early high screen to switch Goldwire onto Hurt, and Justin Robinson onto Trey. Jones never seems to consider taking Robinson off the dribble, so I don't know. Uh, Jack sees the initial switch and quickly switches with Jordan again to have him on more and white guarding Hurt inside. Smart move again by a Jack White could go overlooked. Matthew faces Jack up and sees AOC cutting around away from Stanley. And this is the one defensive play when Stanley lost awareness for just a second. Hurts path leads AOC in stride to finish off the glass. Good play. Possession 25, blue 13. Good initial on ball D by Trey on Goldwire. Uh, Robinson sets a screen for Stanley at the left wing. Cassius curls around to receive the pass and slice into the lane. Hurt is ready. D's Cassius up as well as possible. Uh, Stanley's footwork continues to impress, though. Stops on a dime before pivoting back to miss a tough one-hander with his left hand. Still a good-looking move. Still a really good-looking move. As as mature a game as I, as I can... A really mature game, at least for the moment. What I can see from Cassius Stanley is a mature game. Six seconds left, another kind of shot deep into the possession. White 13, uh, I'm sorry, possession 26, white 13. Javin boards Stanley's miss, quickly gets the ball ahead to Trey, who slings it to Hurt past half court. Hurt takes two dribbles into the lane against Goldwire, and White on the break makes a great decision, unselfish, to kick out to Moore in the corner. Once again, misses a wide open three. For what it's worth, this time the mechanics and technique look much better. The shot just didn't go down. It is what it is. But I love the pass from Hurt to uh, Moore. Um, just a big guy's ability to do that. I mean, the, you're hoping for that stretch four to be able to have the vision and the awareness and the dribbling ability and the passing ability to do all that. Matthew Hurt had it. Uh, possession 27, blue 14. Good offense and defense shown by both groups here. Carey gets a touch for the first time in a few possessions. He faces up Javin from the left wing and takes him off the dribble before uh, O'Connell comes over to help. Good help. 
Vernon skips it out to Robinson in the opposite corner, who swings it to Stanley on the right wing and then to White above the break. Jack's guarded by Trey. For some reason, this really isn't smart, <laughs> decides to take Trey Jones off the dribble, and Trey intelligently feeds Jack right into the lane where Javin gets over just in time to draw a charge. It was a bang-bang play, but... Uh, yeah, I mean, that, that was that was a fun type of play just to see everything. I mean, Jack, you don't want him taking Trey Jones off the dribble, but that's where Trey, the smart defense, kind of feeding him in, and Javin just being Javin Deloria. White, uh, possession 28, White 14, Trey brings the ball up slowly, then turns on the Jets and takes gold wire off the dribble, similar to that first kind of white team possession of the game. Justin Robinson's just pretty much ready and waiting to, to help off Matthew Hurd, though pretty much blocks Trey Jones into oblivion, so that was ugly. Possession 29, blue 15, Goldwire out on the 4-on-1 break. For some reason, gives to carry around the free throw line, which is always dangerous for a big man. And uh, I mean, unless he can just take it in with no resistance. Vernon makes a smart decision to immediately give back to Goldwire at the rim instead of challenging Wendell Moore, who is severely outnumbered. So smart, smart play by Vernon Carey. And as I said in the, in the uh, summary type of the pod portion, he really got Goldwire off the hook because uh, uh, Jordan Goldwire can't be making that pass to Vernon Carey at the free throw line with Wendell Moore there. Possession 30, white 15. This is the type of possession which gives hope for Alex O'Connell this season. His ability to create up nothing could be huge when the offense stalls, and the offense most definitely stalls right here. O'Connell shakes and bakes Jack White and uh, then dishes to Javin, cutting from the from the, cutting from the baseline for the dunk when Carey has to come over and help on the driving O'Connell with uh, about 10 seconds left on the shot clock. So, I mean, yeah, that was all O'Connell there. I mean, he, he did it, so uh, great play there. Possession 31, blue 16. It's tough to tell exactly what happens with the camera still focused on Javin. But you can see Jordan's pass just sail out of bounds intended for Jack White. I guess I'll give Trey credit for the for harassing Goldwire, but I don't know. It seemed to be a pretty awful play by Jordan. Possession 32, White 16. Trey gets Robinson switched onto him, and uh, I don't know. He tries to rise and fire from the free throw line without creating any space. So at that point in time, I mean, if you're not even going to step back there, if you don't have space, you're just... I don't know what you're expecting. So once again, um, Robinson blocks him into oblivion. <laughs> so keep in mind, Robinson on Trey means Matthew Hurt was guarded by Jordan Goldwire at the time. Yeah, you got to use that matchup when you can get it. So possession 33, blue 17. Baker collects the loose ball, almost loses it, Somet- somehow gets it back and head to Goldwire with the blue team still able to have numbers on the break. Goldwire hits Robinson. Um, who hesitates for a second to let Javin fly by before making the layup from under the basket. So that was nice, rewarding uh, Justin Robinson for, for his uh, great defensive play on uh, Trey Jones. Possession 34, White 17. Um, Javin, shoots a th- um, Javin shoots a three with, uh, I don't know, I have written here 110 seconds on the shot clock. So... I'm assuming it's not exact, <laughs> and hits nothing but net, literally the bottom of the net. The less said about this possession, the better. I think the 110 seconds on the shot clock was probably a sort of exaggeration type of joke because I don't think it was deep into the possession. I don't think it was kind of a, uh, hey, you got to shoot it. I think Javin just wanted to, and it didn't go well. All right, uh, getting down to the nitty-gritty here, I think I have like 10 possessions left. 
um, under 12 timeout and with uh, white 18, blue 17. All right, possession 35, blue 18. More plays harassing defense on Cassius. And, I mean, this, that's a fun matchup. Who is able to enter in the carry on the left block. And uh, carry kicks out to Robinson when O'Connell helps over. Carry resets and gets deep po- post position to receive the entry from Goldwire above the break. But the pass is kicked by Hurt. The clock resets to 20, and then this is just fantastic. You love the denial defense by Moore on Stanley during the inbounds. Uh, Jordan lofts the ball into Carey, who catches with his left and makes a just a really impressive strong move to his right and finishes with that hand as opposite at the rim. I mean, I'm just I actually typed like this dude dot dot dot. I mean, Vernon Carey, that's just a hell of a move. Possession 36, white 18. Stanley returns the favor of Moore's defense back on Wendell during the ensuing possession. So Cassius gets right up in his grill. Love the effort. Uh, Javin gives Moore a high screen, and again, Moore doesn't seem to be confident in what he's doing with it. Very deliberate, very cautious, and when he turns left, expecting to see, possibly expecting to see Javin down low, and instead sees Carey. Wendell's called for the travel when he turns back right and lifts his pivot foot. Possession 37, Carey runs, uh, blue 19, Carey runs the baseline, faces up Javin when receiving the pass from Goldwire. Javin doesn't seem like he expects Carey to shoot, so hey, Vernon rises up for the long two and misses, and you could say, could there be a better shot? Probably. But I, I don't know. I, I really can't blame him for the attempt. Possession 38, white 19, there it is. This is it. Wendell Moore makes a determined, really decisive ISO move on Joey Baker to get into the lane and pass Robinson to score at the rim. I mean, it's Joey Baker defense, but still, I mean, I, I really like the move. And, I, and especially just the, the lack of hesitation on the move. Possession 39, blue 20. Goldwire gets Trey on his hip. And Hurt makes a swipe at the ball rather than play defense. Goldwire draws the foul on Javin. It seemed like a clean block by Javin. May have gotten Jordan with the off arm. I'd like to see Baker, I mean, I'm sorry, Hurt do a little more rather than just swipe. But, yeah. All right, possession 40, white 20. Uh, Javin sets a high screen for Moore at the left wing. Wendell makes another decisive slash into the lane. I like that, but gets too deep. <laughs> so it's kind of learning here. Um, loses the ball when it's deflected by Carey. He does recover, though, and gives to O'Connell to hit hurt in the corner. Uh, Matthew misses the three, but it's a good look. Despite the sloppy position, it did end up with a good look. A very makeable shot. The shot skips long to Javin for the offensive rebound. Kicks it out to Trey. So Trey takes Cassius off the dribble and tries a running scoop. I mean, it's just, it's not a good day for Trey in terms of shooting-wise. But, hey, O'Connell's there to uh, collect the second offensive rebound of the possession. I mean, again, it's that, the activity by O'Connell, you know it's going to be there. That's guaranteed. Without O'Connell, he will always be active and energetic. And uh, O'Connell's able to finish at the rim. Really good effort. Possession 41, blue 21. Vernon doesn't let the missed corner jumper phase him, and uh, it looks like he's actually coming out for a super high screen for Cassius Stanley, who is uh, actually running point with uh, Goldwire taking a short rest. It turns out, hey, it may have been planned, because he instead receives ca- he instead receives Stanley's pass above the break and hits a three, with Javin giving him plenty of room. So, again, something to keep in mind. With Goldwire out, Stanley was in the point guard role, bringing the ball up against Trey. A couple plays left. White 21, uh, possession 42, white 21. Hurt sets a nice screen for O'Connell to curl around at the uh, right break and receive the pass from Trey. 
He takes and misses a long two. It's well guarded by Jack White, but I would have liked personally to see uh, O'Connell try and take Jack off the drive. Javin rebounds the miss, though, and the offense looks ready to reset before Wendell basically sees there's no one in front of him and, again, takes it right in for the easy layup. So Wendell, even, I mean, the possession prior, he kind of lost it, but it's three straight decisive moves. So this is this is what uh, you just got to hope he keeps on learning and getting confidence throughout the season. If this can happen in one game, I mean, think about the – Length of a season, how much better he can get. A lot of room to grow for Wendell Moore. Um, possession 43, blue 22. Stanley backdoors O'Connell from the left wing because hashtag AOC defense and uh, receives the assist from Jack White. An underrated aspect right here is Stanley finishing with his left at the rim to prevent Javin from getting the block to kind of shield him. Whoever thinks all freshmen come ready um, with the opposite hand finishing ability Definitely hasn't watched the Duke teams recently. Again, uh, Zion barely could. Uh, RJ struggled. Um, I mean, it's not as e- it's not as easy or as natural as you would like to think for some of these guys. And um, yeah. So anyway, all right. Um, let's see here. And uh, Cam Reddish, he definitely couldn't. All right. Last two possessions. White uh, possession forty four. White twenty two. Javin shoots another three. This is when I started getting frustrated. Drink. I mean, at least this time it looked more natural. But here, here's the final possession, which made me stop. All right, uh, possession 45, blue 23. Good transition defense by the white team to prevent another break. And then I see AOC for the second consecutive possession. He gets backdoored again by Cassius Winston. This time from almost uh, above the break. Luckily, Goldwire doesn't even see it, and... I, I just stopped watching at that point. I couldn't deal. I'm like, hey, you know what? If this was a real game, I'd keep going to the end. But I think I've seen enough for the uh, blue-white scrimmage. But there's a lot to kind of see in terms of the context involved with all of this and why I saw what I saw and what I feel it means. So uh, if you like this, if you want me to do it during the season more often when I can, um, let me know. Let me, let me know if you have any opinions of what happened, any questions, anything at all. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it was a good start. There's nothing conclusive you could get from any of this. But it was an interesting start at the very least. So uh, gave, the, gave the first part of the pod in terms of uh, news, notes, thoughts, all that, all that kind of good stuff. And then the countdown of craziness and pre-scrimmage stuff that went on. And uh, over some summaries, player by player. And then just the what I saw going more in depth into each play. I think uh, it's a good start to the season. I think there's a lot more to look forward to. I think this is a very different team than before. Could you, I mean, there are aspects of like, you could say it's like a 2013 team, but the, the experience factor just puts that 2013 team on a totally different level in terms of what they were able to do and how comfortable everyone was in that offense and as well as the defense. I mean, that was a good defensive team without really great defensive players. So it's just because there's so much continuity on that team and so much experience. So we'll see how this goes, but uh, can't wait. What would we have next? We have the... Northwest Missouri State on Saturday. That is at 7 p.m. So 
look, look forward to that. Look forward to see if anything progresses from where it was in Countdown to Craziness. To, and again, it's combining the best of both worlds, what you hopefully saw from different sides of the action from the blue and the white team during the scrimmage. And uh, yeah, hopefully there is some chemistry that starts gelling together. We'll see how much they play through carry. We'll see how much the offense the uh, sets are able to help Trey Jones. We'll see how much they get out in transition, if there's more of a uh, press. And even even with these exhibitions, you got to take with a grain of salt because, I mean, the mismatch is going to be very present, which is a reason you would hope maybe next year they'll play an exhibition, but who knows. But that sums up my time here. So thanks so much for listening to the Duke Basketball Corner Podcast. I am Adam Comer. I'll be talking to you soon.